I wonder what the first question that went through your mind this morning was. You know, maybe it was, uh, is it really time to wake up or could I just lie here a little longer? You know, I must admit that I think was the first question in mine. But maybe it was about what to wear, you know, which, you know, if you've got a tie, what tie, what trousers, which shoes. Maybe it was whether to have coffee or tea or a glass of water at breakfast time, assuming, of course, that you went, I'll have breakfast, or will I? Throughout the day, we ask questions. We ask all sorts of questions. And some of them, we will answer ourselves almost immediately. We ask that question about, is it time to get out of bed? And we look at the clock and we go, yes, unfortunately it is. Sometimes... It is others who will answer the question for us. We'll say the question out loud and we get a response. But then, of course, there are other times still where the question is left dangling on our mind and we wonder what to do with it. And we're left going, so what is this? that's happening the people of Capernaum have a question on their heart what is this verse 27 they're saying what is this they just cannot comprehend what they've been seeing and what they've been hearing it's just so different to what has gone before It's not the usual pattern. Because their encounter with Jesus is so different from how a normal teacher in their synagogue would appear. Jesus teaches with great authority. Authority that can even drive out unclean demonic spirits. An authority that goes straight into the heart. An authority that they are hearing and knowing it to be true. And it really speaks to them. Now that Jesus can do these things shouldn't be a surprise to us. Who know him to be the son of God. But yet. In Capernaum. He is simply a man. Who has stood forward. In this small port. They are witnessing. Something very unusual. The fishing village had only been there for maybe a couple of hundred years at the time of Jesus. There's not a single prophecy, there's not a single mention 
in the Old Testament of Capernaum because it really hadn't been there at the time of those texts. It becomes a place of focus again and again in each of the four Gospels. A place that Jesus continually returns to. And in the same way as uh, the call of the disciples, the call of uh, uh, where Philip is talking with Nathaniel in John's Gospel, um, and uh, Nathaniel asks Philip, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? The villagers of Capernaum or the surrounding area of Galilee might have thought that of their village. Surprised to hear that the person who is later revealed to be God's son would come to the town and preach and cast out the demons and heal and make a difference in people's lives. It wasn't somewhere that had been spoken of. And that was where the Messiah was expected to come. Places that had been prophesied about. But here, it was just the back of beyond. The world has giant metropolis and tiny hamlets. Places of great wealth and massive poverty. We might have food filling our fridge and freezer. There are those that don't know where the next bite is coming from. But yet God loves the world. Each of the seven billion population. And he sent the son for the world. Not just for the places that had been prophesied about, not just the places that were known at the time. The good news comes into the world. In the Gospels, we see that the cross and the resurrection unfolds in and around the holy city of Jerusalem. The city where the dwelling presence of God is recognised. But the ministry of Jesus takes place all over. North and south, east and west. The ministry is conducted primarily not in the holy place, but in villages like Capernaum. He meets people in their community and he changes lives where they are. As I noted two, two weeks ago, it seems half the disciples come from this obscure area. They are ordinary people, people like you and me. Perhaps with an inquiring mind. Perhaps people that want to see more of God's kingdom. As Jesus goes to and seems to dwell in Capernaum, 
We are challenged not to stay just in the holy place that is this building, but we're called to be in community. We're called to be outside the door and to know that God's blessing is for each and every place. Our ministry is for wherever we go. And that's not just my ministry, it's yours. In the first century, much, if not all, of the community might have been found in this synagogue on the Sabbath. Well, we know that in our churches, in our holy places today, that is not the case, is it? It's not the case that everybody comes and gathers in a place of God. But of course, not that much before the first century, it wouldn't have been the case in the Holy Land either. The synagogue is a relatively new place to be. There's not really anywhere else to go on a Sabbath. So you go there to this gathering, a place of prayer, of teaching and of revelation. It's a new social construct. Most of the synagogues didn't really come until after the fall of the temple in Jerusalem. And so perhaps the synagogue is still finding its place in society. As well as being the natural focus for the village. And in the synagogue, the normal teaching was focused at that time on obedience to the law. And the passage would suggest that normally those engaged in this, although maybe skilled in rhetoric, maybe given authority to preach, were unable to speak with authority, with an authority that spoke to the heart. But Jesus is different. Not simply in style, but also in content. Content. Not being heard as a list of this is what you must do and this is what you must not do. But what would have been a message that encouraged people to be renewed, to be changed. Yes, to adapt their lives, to repent of sin and start again but one that said you are loved and you should know life. And as the people gather together, each one of them having things in their life that was probably wrong, there is a demon-possessed man. And it is the evil spirit Within that asks a profound question that everyone needs to ask. Everyone still today needs to ask. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? That's a question that we as a church need to be saying. What do you want, Lord? What is it that you have in mind for us? What are we called to do and to say? 
Where is it we're called to go and to proclaim your good news? What does he want? will call us to live and grow. How are we to respond to his life-giving action? And the evil spirit asks further, is this about destruction? Now we don't normally associate destruction with the Lord Jesus. Those aren't two words that go together. But if you think of the cleansing of the temples, how he turned tables over, how he chased out the money changers in Jerusalem, then we might see an element of destruction. It's a destruction of what is wrong and a building up of what is right. Of how the kingdom should be. He wants us to come close. To follow his way. To repent of sin. To lead the new life. He wants the person that is experiencing evil's grip on their life. To know peace. And to know love. And also to experience justice. He wants us to be healed physically and emotionally and spiritually. He wants the whole fallen earth to be reconciled with the Father. We do not really know what happens next for this individual. We hear that there is a shriek. We hear that the spirit leaves. The evil spirit leaves the man. But we don't know beyond that. One must hope that the last words of the demon remain. That confession of who Jesus is. The Holy One of God. Freed from the demon... A new life will await the man. But how will he be received in the community? No doubt in the past they've rejected him. They've stood at a distance. They will have not wanted to associate. But what now? And that question must be there for us too. When we see people changed by Jesus, do we change in our way of speaking and welcoming them? Well, actually, I would hope not, because I would hope that already we would be open to them, encouraging them, and having love towards them. But maybe we don't. Perhaps those people that might have had a prejudice 
still hold it? Do we have prejudice and evil that needs cast out? We might say no. But probably within all of us, deep within us, there are elements of historic language and of attitudes that might need to change. And that's not a matter of political correctness, but an issue of whether we are truly trying to follow the way of Jesus. Are we continually seeking his renewal for our lives? Are we continually thinking how we might love others? We may mean no wrong as we talk to others or talk of others using language that they might find offensive. But we need to find ways that we do not cause offence with our choice of words. But that doesn't mean we should refrain from preaching the gospel. That is maybe the one exception to the rule. Because many find the gospel hard to hear. I think partly because we live in a society now that aren't used to hearing it. The church has become a place not of hope to many, but a place that is ignored by many. Those of us that meet are maybe the small exception. The church is viewed with division by those in community outside the doors. And it's because we've not proclaimed the gospel. Because we've not said that all are loved, that all are welcome, that there is hope for all, that sins can be forgiven. We can be renewed. We spent too long saying what the sins are rather than saying that there is hope beyond the sin. Jesus causes offence to those that are in the wrong. They get upset. They don't like what they hear. Jesus does call each individual to repent. And to be able to repent, you must first realise that you have sinned. And society doesn't like that word anymore. In the first century... Jesus is saying, you've got it wrong. He's saying that to the holy people, to the leaders, to the teachers, to the Pharisees. He continually tells them that they've got it wrong. That they don't understand how they're called to be. 
And in the next two chapters of Mark's Gospel, as Jesus continues his ministry, the Pharisees get increasingly worked up about what they see and hear Jesus doing. Particularly on the Sabbath. And the actions they consider unlawful. However, that the healing in our passage this morning takes place on the day of rest seems at first to be ignored by the authorities. They don't intervene. There's no comment there about this being the Sabbath. Yet the news spread quickly across Galilee of what had happened. One person telling another. And that would have been a case of, do you know what happened in the synagogue? Do you know what happened on the Sabbath when we all gathered together? One tells another of what happened. No tweets, no Facebook, no newspaper, no telly or radio. It's the voice of one person to their neighbour, to the person in their shop, to the person they meet on the street. Did you hear? Do you know? This is what is happening. And as that news spread, it means the Pharisees would have heard And their ears would have pricked up somewhat. When you go home today. Not from the synagogue. But from this place of gathering. Will you be thinking of the question. Who is this Jesus? And answering it. Will you be thinking of the word of Jesus that challenges and inspires and warms the heart? Will you be thinking of the Jesus and asking questions of yourself about who you are that the body would be broken and the blood shared out just for you? Will you go out and ask questions about the new hope that you can have, even if you have known the Lord Jesus all your life? And what difference would it make in the whole region, not of Galilee, but of Mid-Sussex, were we to share the good news of Jesus' authority and power? I wonder what change, what hope, what life would come if only we thought that question and told our neighbours the answer. Amen.